Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Faye. You're listening to the Politics of Disaster, There's Something in the Water podcast series, a collaboration between students from SICE Europe's Politics of Disaster course and the SICE Review, exploring responses to and responsibility for water disaster. This episode is titled Crude Awakening, the Disaster of Oil Spills in the Niger River Delta. Today, we will be speaking with Dr. Abasede Ababatunde, an expert on the intersection between oil and conflict in the Delta, as well as environmental lawyer Lauren Chaplin. We hope you enjoy. Many of the older members of the communities can speak about a time when they were younger, when the streams were clear and they could go swimming and fish were plentiful and crops grew well. Um, and there's definitely a desire to get back to a state where that kind of ecosystem exists again. For 50 years, communities in the Niger Delta region have suffered the devastating side effects of hydrocarbon extraction. Since the oil boom in Nigeria in the 1980s, the region has been repeatedly polluted by the leakage of crude oil from pipelines and detrimental practices like flaring, the burning of extracted gas and oil. The United Nations has consequently deemed the region one of the most polluted in the world. Shell UK is one of the largest companies operating in the area and, despite legal and public pressure, is still not considered to have sufficiently acted to mitigate the impact of these practices on local populations. Decades of pollution and environmental degradation associated with hydrocarbon extraction have reduced living standards, restricting access to food and water, and above all, the basic right to health. The average life expectancy of someone in this region rests at 40 years old, 14 years less than the national average. Recurrent oil spills have also decimated marine wildlife, eliminating the main source of income for coastal communities. As a result, mass unemployment and high levels of poverty are commonplace. An absence of redress has led to anger and frustration among affected communities. This has resulted in heightened tensions within and between communities over unpolluted water sources and food. Internal conflict ultimately inhibits collective action and efforts to challenge the status quo. Government support of these companies has allowed multinationals like Shell to extract oil without oversight. Nigerian authorities remain inactive in the face of the decades-long disaster, working with oil companies to avoid legal recourse and a halt to oil exploration in the Delta. To date, the largest legal settlement for Delta communities was in 2015, amounting to roughly $83 million. While on its face this may seem like a large sum, the settlement only covered a fraction of the environmental social, and economic damage that will continue for generations to come. Impunity for environmental and human rights abuses contribute to the ongoing poverty and strife in the Niger Delta. We are Daniel and Faith, and this is Crude Awakening, the disaster of oil spills in the Niger River Delta. So, Shell has had a presence in the Niger Delta for decades, since around the 1950s. Um, It operates through its Nigerian subsidiary called SPDC, the Shell Petroleum Development Company of Nigeria. Lauren Chaplin is an associate solicitor for the international department of UK-based human rights firm Lee Day. For the last year and a half, she has been working on litigation against Shell to achieve remedy for the Bile and Ogala communities in the Niger Delta region that together constitute 55,000 residents. Then in Bile, which is a riverine community, so it's a kind of assortment of islands um, around a creek, the main income source was fishing. 
However, because of the catastrophic pollution, people can't fish anymore. So um, people's livelihoods have been significantly impacted. People have had to move away or find other income streams or often are just living in far worse situations than they were previously. Impacting all facets of life, these spills have also spurred conflict within and between communities in the Delta. Dr. Abbasede Babatunde is a renowned lecturer at the Center for Peace and Strategic Studies at the University of Alar, Nigeria, an affiliate of esteemed institutions, including the International Peace Research Association and the Society for Peace Studies and Practice in Nigeria. Dr. Babatunde's research on oil pollution and community conflict makes her a leading authority in the field. This is Dr. Babatunde discussing Shell's treatment of polluted communities. They hardly even compensate those communities that are impacted. They usually focus on uh, communities that have oil waste. And it is not even our community that can benefit. It is those who can agitate violently sometimes. So this creates a kind of conflict between impacted and um, oil com- host communities. So this is another form of way. So I completely use all this kind of business policies to create crisis within communities so that instead of them, you know, uniting to comfort the oil complaint, they start attacking one another to get a kind of little benefit that trickle down to this community. So this has been a major sort of concentration. But at the same time, when oil companies is not willing to give compensation or royalties and other social amenities to communities, they don't they will mobilize their people. So it creates a kind of complex and kind of conflict among communities and between communities. These detrimental impacts come as a result of decades of exploitation. Shell began oil exploration in the Niger Delta region of Nigeria in 1937 during the period of British colonization. Oil in commercial quantities was discovered in 1956 in the Oloibere area of present-day Bayelsa State, which marked the beginning of oil production in the Delta. Shell sold its first barrel in 1958 and has since become the largest fossil fuel company in Nigeria, operating over 6,000 kilometers of pipelines and flow lines, 87 flow stations, eight natural gas plants, and more than 1,000 producing wells. The first major oil spill in the Niger Delta was reported in 1969 at a shell-operated well, spilling 250 barrels of oil. In 1978, Shell spilt a further 580,000 barrels. Between 1998 and 2009, the company was responsible for 491,627 barrels an average of 41,000 barrels per year. In total, an estimate of roughly 13 million barrels of oil have been spilled in the Niger Delta in the last 50 years. One litre of oil has the capacity to contaminate a million litres of clean water. So with this estimate, would that mean that this rate of oil has the potential to pollute over two quadrillion litres of water? Yeah, I think so. That's unbelievable. Almost 827 million Olympic swimming pools worth of water. The scale of this corporate irresponsibility is massive. Shell is a huge company. Um, It is incredibly opaque in the way that it does business. Its archives are famously impossible to access, and it wields power in many ways equivalent to that wielded by states, um, which allows it to go into communities and in many ways, operate with impunity, um, create huge negative externalities, and then leave 
those communities um, and it, leaving their lawyers to kind of um, fight out any issues which have arisen. It's, yeah, it's interesting seeing up close them that despite all the sound bites and the greenwashing put out by Shell and also put out by other oil companies, ultimately the reality is that they they only care about profit. I mean, their recent profits were, I think, 30, 40 billion. Um, and ultimately, if you are a profit, profit-driven organisation, that profit is always going to be earned at the detriment of the kind of human and eco um, systems in which you operate. But Shell and other oil companies are not the only actors complicit in this exploitation. The Nigerian state plays a huge role in allowing and even working with these companies. Yeah, all these high multinationals, they are uh, sprouting high in collaboration with Nigerian government. So there is a joint venture arrangement between these high companies and the Nigerian government. And Nigerian government sets in place environmental laws that this oil company are expected to comply with in their extractive activities. And at the same time, there's global environmental practices, which oil complain adhere to in the um, global north. But the reality is that in the global south, the way oil is exploited, this oil company do not adhere to the global practice as well as the national environmental standard in Nigeria because of also the lack of commitment of the Nigeria government to ensuring that oil companies exploit oil by adhering to environmental practices and standards. Faced with the destructive consequences of oil spills, Niger Delta communities have sought redress from Shell and the Nigerian government. Unfortunately, the path to clean water and compensation is fraught with difficulties. Unfortunately, remedy can be hard to obtain in Nigeria for several reasons. Um, one of those being that Shell and oil companies generally have a huge amount of leverage in the region. Um, so that can kind of impact the way that justice is achieved. Um, also, these cases are extremely time consuming oil companies such as Shell seek to delay litigation. And that time means that these cases are extremely expensive to bring. Um, And so all these reasons together mean that it can be hard to achieve remedy in Nigeria. Um, And as you mentioned, there is government inaction on this issue. There are certain schemes, such as a scheme called HyPrep, which is tasked with cleaning up some of the pollution Unfortunately, a lot of these schemes aren't that effective. Um, Their budgets aren't utilised correctly. They're blighted by inefficiencies. um, And so that means that people in the region are often left without remedy, um, which is why the Agale and Bile communities approached Lee Day. And the reason that the claims can be brought in the English courts is because Shell PLC, the parent company, is a British-based company. Um, And our case is that Shell PLC, as the parent company, has responsibility for the way that its subsidiary SPDC operates. Um, It has control over its operations. And ultimately, for those reasons, this litigation um, 
can proceed in the English courts, where we hope ultimately our clients will um, achieve remedy in the form of compensation and also hopefully clean up of their land. But even when remedy is achieved, it can sometimes lead to further conflict. Dr. Babatunde explains how the court-ordered cleanup process of some companies has previously created rifts within communities. So sometimes I complain when I spill a car because they are not ready to clean up the spill. They give local contract to the youth to clean up the spills. So this youth, they mop up the spills into what we call GP tanks. And because they don't have the equipment facilities, so it's a very poor way of cleaning up high spills. So, and another thing is that even when they give this contract to youth, sometimes they don't pay them well. Sometimes there is agitation among these youth to get access to this uh, oil spill cleanup contract. Uh, also, there is contention between youth and elders to get cleanup contract, to get contract for some social facilities. When I completely want to, I am um, comply with uh, the associate corporate responsibility. Sometimes they give some facilities, they build schools, they build few schools, uh, a clinic or health services in communities. And when they want to build them, they give local contracts to the people. While the responsibility of these companies may seem obvious, the legal process is by no means straightforward. So even though these claims were issued a long time ago in 2015, the claims were basically on hold for about five years because Shell disputed that the English courts had um, the right to hear these claims. So then there were five years of litigation to do with jurisdiction that went up to the Supreme Court, the UK Supreme Court, which in 2021 handed down a judgment saying that these claims could proceed um, in the courts of England and Wales. That process very recently came to an end and we're likely to have a hearing um, in a few months to decide directions for the case. So the judge will essentially set out a roadmap for how these claims will proceed to trial. As I'm sure you've noticed by now, the number of characters in this story is expansive. The multinationals, the Nigerian government and domestic and international courts. However, at the heart of this problem is, of course, the local communities who endure the fallout of this disaster. So it's now creates a kind of vicious cycle of environmental degradation, insecurity and poverty for the ordinary people who do not have access to political power. So it is people that continue to suffer from all these challenges. In 2015, Shell was obligated to pay $83 million to the Niger Delta community of Bodo for loss of livelihoods and to clean the local mangroves, a process which is still ongoing today. Hopefully, Bile and Ogale will also receive remedy. But these are just three communities. In 2013, it was estimated that 1,500 communities have been affected by oil spills in Nigeria. And that was 10 years and over 7,000 reported spills ago. What happens to the rest of these affected communities? It's difficult to say. I think when it comes to the issue of oil pollution, ultimately, prevention is easier than a cure. Um, I think generally, as as a global society, as we shift away from fossil fuels, hopefully um, that should kind of improve situations going forward. But the tragedy of the situation is that 
Nigerians have basically had their fossil fuel assets exploited for decades. And ultimately, all the profits and the benefits from that oil have been seen by Western companies and have not been seen by the communities who are in worse situations than they were prior to the oil majors coming in. Um, their experience chronic pollution, their air is dirty, their water source is dirty, um, their farmland is not productive at all. Um, and I think that's just one of the kind of great injustices of our time. Um, hopefully this litigation will have an impact, but the kind of inequalities between shell and the communities in which it operates is unfortunately stark and I think will continue to be so. So there is a need to reconceptualize approach to community peace building that involve, you know, engagement with the ordinary farmers, ordinary fisher folk and so on that are the direct people suffering from the um, adverse cause of oil exploration. Because now we know there are other um, source of energies in the international and globally. And there is also been this, and especially in this era of um, deepening um, climate change, this era of in the post-pandemic period, we are the deepening economic challenges. So it's time for government to dig deep to know what can they do to address the underlying cause of the problem in the Niger Delta and make sure that the vulnerable peoples are carried along. In 2021, Shell announced its intention to sell all onshore assets in Nigeria. In short, that it was leaving the country. Even with the company's exit, challenges facing the region will continue to persist. In 2015, Shell announced a similar move and commenced the sale of some local assets. While the decision was initially met with optimism, it has only spelt further disaster. Local companies have reportedly spilled 35% more oil than multinationals and have proven equally indifferent to facilitating cleaning efforts. Highly polluting gas flaring has, in some cases, increased tenfold under local management with dire environmental repercussions. Further, as multinationals flee the region, the number of legal avenues to justice diminishes. Local companies purchasing the multinationals' assets also take on their legal responsibility, allowing larger companies to escape accountability. Oil reserves in the region are projected to last another 50 years. Even with Shell's departure from the Niger Delta region, local communities struggle for justice amidst the ongoing disaster of oil spills. It's far from over. This episode was part of the Something in the Water series, a co-production of SICE Europe's Politics of Disaster Class and the SICE Review. It was produced by Joël Chrysetig, Zoé Audebron, Faith Leslie, and Daniel Lubin. And we want to extend our gratitude to our guests, Dr. Abbasede Babatunde and Lauren Chaplin, as well as our professor, Dr. Sarah Parkinson. Thank you for listening. <laughs>